Jeremiah chapter 7. I want us to read verses 21 through 23. Of course, the Lord is speaking here to the people of Israel and dealing with them on their faithlessness. But we have indeed a word from our God about what he would do. Certainly a word that's true for all. Verse 21. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, put your burnt offerings unto your sacrifices and eat flesh. For I spake not unto your fathers, nor commanded them in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt concerning burnt offerings or sacrifices. But this thing commanded I them, saying, Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and ye shall be my people. And walk ye in all the ways that I have commanded you, that it may be well with you. This morning I want us to take verse 23 as our text. And I want us to consider particularly when the Lord offers the words, I will be your God. I will be your God. And I want us to think on what I'm entitling, I will and its blessings. I will and its blessings. Before we go further, though, let's ask the Lord to meet with us and to speak with us through the word of God. Father, now we pray that you will bless this time as we hold the word in our hands, as we look into its pages, and as we consider what thou hast put there for us. We would pray, O oh God, that thou will again allow the word, which is a living word, to be made alive in our minds and hearts. May we know indeed that we hear the voice of our God. We find indeed the very instructions of our God, but also the calling of our God to come after thyself, to walk in thy ways, to know thee, to love thee, and to know all the benefits of what you've done to make us your people. Lord, I pray now that thou wilt bless this time for Jesus' sake. Guide us by the Spirit of God. Lord, may he be my helper as well as I would take this word and bring it to thy people. Lord, let him be the preacher, we pray. And we pray it all in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. I would suggest this morning that the verse that we have taken as our text suggests that there is both a mighty power and an unchangeably certain promise in the words, I will be your God. There's power there, but there's promise there. I will be your God. These words seems so simple to hear. But to our faith and to our lives, what can they mean? I will be your God. What does that mean? That is no small question. 
What can it really be for the God of all creation, the Ancient of Days, the Everlasting Father, to so say that He will stoop to be the God of fallen men? What can that possibly mean? What does that entail? How does that indeed apply to us? Well, I would suggest that the answer is bigger than we can even in the smallest degree render. I will just say this as an overriding truth. I want us to think on this thought as we go through our time this morning. All things, all things begin with the Lord saying, I will. You think about that. Creation. Where did creation start? It started with the voice of God. The Lord saying, I will create. I will make man. I will do the various parts of creation. When we have revelation, I will make myself known. If you talk about the reconciliation of our hearts to God, it all starts with God saying, I will. Redemption. All the sustaining graces of God, the promises of God from Genesis the first promise of Genesis through the promise to bring us home. Again, I suggest to you that all things begin with the Lord saying, I will. Again, I want us to come back to think on the words that we have as our text, though, where he says, I will be your God. There you have it presented by our God that he will be known. He will give all things to bring you and me to glory. And he will be all that you need. I will be your God. Then you read further in this text that we're taking. He says, and I will cause you to be my people. We're not the people of God because we choose to be the people of God. It's not our wills, our wills, that make us one with the Lord our God. He causes us to be his people. So he says that. And ye shall be. I will cause you to be my people. You will be enabled to walk with me. I will enable you to worship. And I will give you that which is needful for your heart to love to the greatest extent of joy and the blessing of your souls. Oh, may we stop and understand that worship is not something that is a blessing just to God. We're not enhancing the heart of God somehow by our worship. Understand this. When you worship, and you worship truly in spirit and in truth, the blessing is all yours. The blessing is for your heart. It does your soul good to worship the Lord your God. Further, he says in our text, I will cause you to know my ways. Again, you and I would never understand or know the ways of God. We would not know what our God would want, what he requires, what are his laws. We would not know what is right. We would not know what is really wrong. If we were left to ourselves, it is through the Lord saying, I will make my ways known unto men, the precepts and the commandments of my law that we come to know 
who and what our God is and what he demands. And I would suggest to you this, that he's also saying in those words, I will also make known to you what is the answer for all the issues of life. Do you want to know what life is about? Do you want to know why you're here? Do you want to know what the answers are for all the things that you could possibly ask? It's found in the ways of your God. But then he says at the end of our verse that it may be well with you. The Lord is saying, I will, as a result of who you are now to me and whom I am to you, I will make it well with you. I say, well, can you define that for me? I would just simply say, read Psalm 103. Read through the list there of all the things that you have that are the benefits of the Lord. All the ways in which God has made it well for you. I simply say, what wonder and what glory there is in the I will of God. There is the hope of salvation. That hope is not what I ever pray. My hope of salvation is in these two words from God. I will. I will save. I will now, I will say this also, because we have to uh, acknowledge this right from the start. There is no point in which Satan attacks us more and brings to the heart more doubt than on this point. His attack is always, hath God said? Is God willing? Has the mind of God really desired this for you? I say that Satan leveled his most severe and his most powerful temptation and question when he brought that first question to Eve. That was his chief accusation. Hath God said? Does God will? Has God said? And let me ask this. Do you not hear this still? Has God really said that he will save you? Has God really said that he will forgive you? Look at you. Look at what you are. Look at what you've done. Look at what you are doing. Look at what is in your heart. Look at all the things that still you have a desire for. Has God really said that he will save you in the condition that you see yourself? Do you really think he's going to do as he said? Well, this morning, I want you to think with me on this thought then. The foundation of our faith and the lock on our assurance is the I will of God. A God who cannot lie. And you are to fasten your faith on his character. And then you will find that you are able to rest assured. Well, let's ask this question as we take this subject in hand. How or by what can we actually see this worked out for us? Can we see where God has proven the purpose of his will to secure and bless a people? Can we see it really worked out, the answer to what Satan says? Is God really willing to save you? Is he really willing to deal with your, your sin? Is he really willing to deal with the curse that's come upon you? 
Are there places where we can see the heart of God bringing the blessing of making all things right? Well, I want us to be very simple this morning. And I find that there is a war that the more I desire to make it simple, the more complex it tends to become. Lord, help us then. I want this to be simple. So I want us to see in the first place the proof of what I just said. The proof. Are there places where we can see the heart of God bringing the blessing of making all things right? The answer is yes. Where's the proof? Am I thinking goes no further than this. Look at the word of God incarnate. There is your proof. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Let's consider him and re review the answer to a few questions. And I, I, this, my questions are by no means the entire list of what we could ask for. I think we could ask thousands of questions at this point. And I don't propose to try to answer by way of logic. I want to answer the question simply with what the Lord Jesus himself has said in the word. So if you will, I'm going to ask first question this way. Does God mean to defeat death for me? There's a big question. There's a Vital question. Does God mean to defeat death for me? Can it be proven? Well, as I said, I'm just going to go to the Word of God. I'm going to read to you John chapter 11, verses 21 and following. It says, Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. And Jesus saith unto her, thy brother shall rise again. Will God break the power of death for us? Here is the answer in plain view. But there's a greater proof than even what I just pointed to. Yes, he broke the power of, of death for Lazarus. But read with me also what is said in Matthew chapter 27, verse 63, where the Pharisees are coming and questioning the Lord or questioning the, um, the Romans about the Lord. And the, the statement is made, Sir, we remember that the deceiver said while he was yet alive, after three days... I will rise again. And then if you read further down into chapter 28, you have the testimony of the angel to those that stood at the tomb. And he says, he is not here for he is risen as he said. Christ said, I will rise again. The angel is there. Come see where the Lord had laid because he has risen as he said, there is proof, both in the world of dealing with men 
but also in dealing with that moment in which he breaks the power of death entirely at his own resurrection. Is there proof? Yes, there's proof. Let me ask another question. Does God mean to defeat the curse of sin's plague for me? Does God really mean to break the curse of sin's plague for me? Again, I simply go to the word of God, Matthew chapter 8. If you read from verse 2 and following, it says, And behold, there came a leper and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus put forth his hand and touched him and touched him, saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And then you read down in verse 5, And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him, and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home, sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus saith unto him, I will come and heal him. Oh, we see that in the outward maladies of men, the picture of the curse of sin. Will the Lord Jesus truly deal with you and I in faithfulness according to his word? Will he indeed remove from us that which is the pollution of, of soul and the penalty of a broken law? What does he say? I will. I will. That's a word for you, child of God. That's a word for me this morning. I'll ask you another question. Does God mean to solve the ineptitude of those that would serve him? Lord, I look at myself and I cannot do anything. In fact, the only thing I can do is what is unprofitable. I can, I can, I'm very good at being unprofitable. I've had a long history and time of practice of being unprofitable. Is there a solution for that? Mark chapter 1, verse 17, the Lord deals with a group of men who are filled with inabilities and ineptitude, ignorance. In fact, things worse than that, selfishness, pridefulness, and all the things that plague a servant of God and keep him from really truly knowing the power of God. The Lord Jesus says to the group of people, that he calls after his own name, he says in Mark 1 and 17, And Jesus said unto them, Come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. They weren't fishers of men. And in their own strength, they never would be. They would be those that actually botched the job entirely. But the Lord Jesus says in light of who you are and the fact that I know that without me you can do nothing, I will make you to become those who are actual servants indeed. Well, I'll ask another question. Does God mean to supply for my hungry soul? I find I walk through my days and I'm so wanting. I want things uh, that will fill me up, things that brings meaning, things that cause me to rest in assurance does God mean to supply for my hungry soul? Again, I use this as a picture. It is a picture. But I want you to hear the voice of the Lord Jesus. Then 
in Matthew chapter 15, verse 32, then Jesus called his disciples unto him and said, I have compassion on the multitude because they continue now with me three days and have nothing to eat. And I will not send them away fasting lest they faint in the way. Does the Lord Jesus mean to feed you, child of God? You say, well, I'm hungry. I'm starving. I need to be fed. Is the Lord Jesus going to feed you? You who have now been bought by his blood, the ones who have your names written on his heart, is he going to feed you? Well, there's many other questions that could be listed here. All would be solved and answered by considering what the Lord Jesus had to say is his will to do for those that he has made his people. I'm going to do something that I don't know that I've ever done before here. I'm just going to list for you some scriptures and read through them with you. And I want you to hear. Let these verses ring down into your heart the truth that you have one who is willing and has said, I will be your God. Let's start with this. And these all being the words of our Lord Jesus himself. Matthew 11 and 28. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Matthew 16, verse 18. I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Matthew 26, verse 39. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. John chapter 6, verse 37. All that the father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. John 6 and 44. No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. John 14 and verse 14, if ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. John 14, 16, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. John 14, verse 18, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. John 17, verse 24, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am. John 16, verse 22, And ye now therefore have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man taketh from you. The answer to the question, the proof, will God do all things that are needful to make my situation right again? The proof is in the very words of Christ himself. Whether you want to take it by the pictures that I suggested or whether you want to take it by these scriptures, and I'm, I'm going to um, suggest to you there were many more. There were many, many more. 
Well, I want you to see with me, and perhaps this is where things become even more sweet. I want you to see, secondly, with me, the precedent. The precedent. We have the promise of our God, I will be your God. But I want you to see the Lord giving the words, I will. Even before he gave them to us. I want you to see the precedent. Again, God has offered many wonderful promises and blessings that we are directly tied to the I wills of his word. Take the truth then and widen the understanding to grasp the greater reason for the certainty of God's words. And that reason is that the Lord has determined purposes which are powerful resting places for us primarily because the Lord first said, I will to the Lord Jesus. I was listening for you, all the things that the Lord has said to us. I will, I will, I will. They are proofs. But here again is the precedent. Here's the greatest reason of all why we know those proofs are absolute. Because he has said first, I will to the Lord Jesus. Again, simply hear the word of God. Hebrews chapter 1. God, who at sundry times and in divers' manners spake in time past unto our fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the power of his word, when he had purged himself, the purge our sins sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Verse 5, For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. Before the foundation of the world, you had, as it were, the Father saying in the ears of the Son, I will. I will not only use you to create all that is, to reveal all that is my will, but I will use you to bring to me a redeemed people. I will, and I will give you, as it were, the exalted place that you've always known as the Son who is the glory of heaven. Isaiah chapter 42, verse 6. We also read these words. Speaking of the Lord Jesus, hear the voice of God. I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness and will hold thine hand and will keep thee and give thee for a covenant of, a, of the people, for a light of the Gentiles, to open the blind eyes, to bring out the prisoners from the prison, and them that sit in darkness out of the prison house. Those are words that God the Father has said to Jesus Christ the Son before he ever came to this world, indeed before the foundation of the world. I say the great reason that we can rest in the promises of God and rejoice in his blessings is because the Father has first said, I will to the Lord Jesus. He will not fail to bring all 
to pass for him. I might add to what I just read, Psalm 2. Psalm 2, verse 7. I will declare the decree. The Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. So again, my point is simply this. If he, meaning God, the Father, has declared the decree to give all to Christ, we who belong to Christ will have all things that have been promised in Christ. The precedent. Well, I want us to see then last the precept. The precept. By this I mean the great truth that should be remembered and acted upon. The great truth that should be remembered and acted upon. I want you to see then that in these words, in the I will of God, First, I will shows God's desire. Understand this. I will, when God says I will, that shows his desire. Again, a great part of Satan's lie to Eve was that God was not willing for mankind to have all things that would fill up his life. You hear that? God is not going to let you have all things that is going to fill up your life. God's not willing for that. It will not be well with you if God has his way. What's Satan's lie? It will not be well with you if God has his way. I'm here to tell you this morning, sadly that we still listen to that lie today. We think and often we act as if we are dealing with a God who may be righteous, but is certainly not gracious. We act as if we have to talk or coax the Lord into being merciful or gracious, or helping us in our time of need. We have listened to the lie, God is not willing. When God says, I will, that is a proof of his desire. The very words here reflect that this is exactly the opposite of Satan's lie. Indeed, this is nailing down for you exactly what is real. What is real? What is real is that the Lord desires that all will be well with us. He says that. Well, why don't we have it? Well, it's because God doesn't desire it. No, sir. <laughs> no. No, not at all. It's that we run after our own way. Isn't that what Isaiah chapter 6 says? Or excuse me, 53 verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. No, oh, James chapter 1 verse 14. Let no man say when, I, when he is tempted of God, 
or when he says, I'm tempted of God, for God does not tempt any man. But what, what's the answer there? Every man is tempted and tried when he is drawn away of his own lusts and enticed. It's on us. It's because of us. The reason why anything is not well with us is because of us. It has nothing to do with the willingness of God. I will shows God's desire. Second, I will shows God's devotion. Now, I'm going to use a picture here that is presented to us more than once. In fact, I would say numerous times in Scripture. The picture is that God with his people pictures a bridegroom and the bride. And I would suggest to you that the I wills of God are in essence very much akin to what a bride and a bridegroom would say at a wedding. Will you have this woman to be your lawfully wedded wife? I will. Will you have this man to be your husband? I will. You understand that there's a sense in which God says, when he sets his heart upon us and says to us, though they be varied as far as the applications, when God says, I will, it is indeed the Lord's devotion being demonstrated to us. I will be devoted entirely to my people. I will give what I render before you as something that is unbreakable, as is a wedding vow. Oh, may we not believe again Satan's lie. You know, God is just tolerant of you. You know, you come to God, yes, he'll forgive you. He doesn't really want to, but, you know, it makes things easier all around if he does. So, yeah, God is just, no, 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 no. God is not just tolerant of us. He is devoted to bringing us all the joys and the blessings of his possessions. You know, when a bridegroom takes a wife, part of the vow is, with all my worldly goods, I thee endow. Everything I've got is yours. How did we ever come up with that thought? What? You know, certainly you would say it's not because every man that gets married is just so magnanimous that he wants to give everything he's got, um, including his fishing rod, to his wife. You know, no, it's not it at all. The picture is in your God first. God has given us in Christ Jesus, all things. Romans chapter 8. If he's given us Christ, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? We talk about the things that are now ours. You go through the Beatitudes and you read the things that become ours because of our union with Christ. Here is a picture of devotion. I will be their God. I will be, using the words of Isaiah, their husband. I will be to them the one who is the sustainer of life, the captain of their salvation. I will be to them all these things because I am devoted to my people. I am devoted to my son. I am devoted to my word. He is wedded to us. Child of God, let that sink into your thinking. He is wedded to us. Isaiah 61, verse 10. 
I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments and as a bride adorneth herself with her jewels. Oh, child of God, you're not an alien anymore. You are owned as a spouse. I will shows the desire of God. But when he says, I will, in all these things, it shows the devotion of God. I've got one last thought. I will shows God's determination. It shows God's determination. For God to say, I will, is for the matter to be settled. For God to say, I will, is for the need to be supplied. For God to say, I will, is for the whole of the issue to become certain. Why? Because for God to speak is for that about what he speaks to be done. When God speaks, it is. Has he said to you he will forgive? Has he said? Is he determined that that will be? Has God said he will save you? Has God said that he will supply for you? What question can you take to God this morning? Lord, is it true that? Well, put your question in there. What has he said? How many times does the scriptures say, I will? To come to him with one whose life resembles inwardly what the leper resembled outwardly. And you have to say, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. How do you think he's going to answer you? You've already seen his desire. You've seen his devotion. What do you think he's going to determine to do? I will. Powerful words. I will be your God and ye shall be my people that it may be well with you. So, what is the application? What are we to take from this? I hate cliches sometimes. It seems like every time I have a meeting at work, there's always at the end, so what's our takeaway? I mean, why can't they not just say, so what can you conclude? Or what, what do you need to work on? Or what's your take? Well, I'll leave it, but you know where I'm coming with this. In light of what we've just said, what does this mean? What can you conclude? What should you be thinking? Number with this. To go to God, have this mind. Lord, you have said, I will be your God. I take everything that we've thought about here, and as I come to you, I come with this mind. Go to God with this mind. Second, go on with God 
in, with this in the heart. Go on with God with this in the heart. The Lord is my Lord. I am his and he is mine. All that he says with all of his I wills of scripture. I can go on now through my days knowing that is going to determine my day. That is going to determine my walk. That is going to determine what I am providentially given. And I finish right on time. Well, may the Lord bless his word to our hearts and speak to us as we remain through the day. Let's all pray. Father in heaven, we pray now that thou will bless the word. We pray that thou will use it. We pray that thou will give us understanding. But Lord, most of all, we pray that you will help us to be those who believe. Lord, undertake. Undertake for us today. Draw us along with thyself, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.